welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. today and we'll be able to be together this morning again worship the Lord together uh, if you will open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 we're going to get back uh, into this letter it's been quite some time since we were uh, there and uh, I feel like we <clears throat> need a little bit of a review just to remember uh, the context uh, we're in we're in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and a section from verse 5 to verse 9, and you may probably see in your Bibles there the, uh, the heading of bond servants and masters. And so this morning we're looking at the, uh, uh, the subject of labor relations. And I've entitled this, um, this message, The Master of All and Labor Relations. And we, we know that... Uh, it is a it's a very uh, practical topic for us in this day and um, on the government level there's lots of uh, issues with labor relations and employees who are not happy and uh, bosses are not happy but it's it also affects us on a very personal level as well i think most everyone in the in the room is either a um, uh, an employee of some kind uh, or you're an employer of some kind. And so it, uh, it affects us as believers, and that's what Paul is doing this, in this passage. He's speaking to believers about their relationships. Uh, I'd like for us to go back into chapter 5 and just to, uh, to give, a, give you a brief um, uh, overview of uh, the context because it flows into uh, this, this section you really, you really there. If we go back to chapter five and verse one, where he uh, it admonishes us to be imitators of God, and uh, that's um, that really sets the stage for what Paul is uh, is, is, doing, is saying in this section that we're to um, to follow him and to be like him. But he goes on in in chapter five and to describe what he means by that. How is it possible that we can imitate God? Well, he says in, there in verse 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so first of all, he's, he's admonishing us to walk in love. And that, that might be... Uh, the way of our life and we have the Lord Jesus Christ as a pattern for that and then from verse 3 all the way down to verse 14 the the, the topic is walking in love and he shows us that we are to to be uh, set apart from the immorality of the world and uh, that we're to live for him notice how he says in verse 7 and 8 Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then the, the last section from verse 15 down through verse 21 is a walk in wisdom. And in verse 15 he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and so it, there's this walk in wisdom. And he's going to tell us in verse 18 that uh, he makes this contrast between uh, the life according to the world, a life of debauchery, and that of the, the spirit-filled living of the believer. Uh, notice verse 18, he says, do, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And so for us as believers, it is an imperative that we are filled with the Spirit. In other words, that we walk by the Spirit, that, that we live our lives according to His will, that we uh, submit our own uh, will unto His, because with, without His leading and guiding in our life, without His working, it's impossible for us to live the life that God has called us to. It's, it's impossible to, um, uh, to to submit to one another as He's going to tell us in these relationships uh, that He's going to highlight. And so this walk with the Lord or walk by the Spirit is a day-by-day, day, it's a moment-by-moment moment dependence upon God in His working in our life. And so the Spirit of God is with us we know as believers he's come to dwell in us and he, he wants to guide us he wants to empower us but we must yield our will unto his Amen. and follow him and in, in verse 19 to 21 he's going to give uh, some characteristics three characteristics of this spirit-filled life in verse 19 he, he says basically it's a singing heart in other words, it's a, it's a heart that has the joy of the Lord in the heart. And, and that's not determined by the circumstances. It's determined by the relationship that we have with Christ. And whether as, as we got this section, we point out it doesn't matter whether you can sing or not, or whether that you have a good singing voice, it's an issue of, of the heart. Amen. And then in verse 20, he says that we are to have a thankful heart uh, that our lives is um, characterized by someone who's thankful. And then in verse 21, a submissive heart. And, and then verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this verse really becomes a key verse and it transitions into what Paul is going to be talking about into, into chapter 6. And he, and he talks about three, three relationships, uh, this uh, relationships within uh, our families, the husband and wife, uh, parent and children. And this morning we'll see that the master-slave relationship uh, that existed in that day. And it, it impacts upon us in our day, not exactly in the same way, but very similar and it's, it comes very close to our home life as well in many cases. And so he's, he's going to begin on this broad level in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another. And he's talking about one, one another in the body, the body of Christ, the believers. And then he narrows it down on these three relationships. And we've, we've already looked at the, the first two, that of the, the husband and wife and the, and the parent and child. And so this morning, we're beginning there in verse 5, where he focuses in on this uh, relationship of masters and slaves. Let's look together uh, there in verse 5. He says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And he says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. We pray that you would uh, just help us. Uh, help us, Lord, as we see the truth that we would uh, not leave it in the first century. Uh, although our circumstance is different, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see that your word is living and that it's applicable to our situation and to our own relationships that we might have as it relates to authority or submission in the workplace, and even in many cases in our own homes where we have people working for us, 
or where we're working for others. I pray, Father, that uh, you would help us to, uh, to submit to your word and submit our lives to your will for us and your purpose for us, that we might know the joy and the, the blessing that you have for us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, slavery was a very common in this first century that Paul is living and writing in, and it was estimated that uh, one-third of the population were slaves, and that's pretty hard to, to get your mind around, to think about one out of three people would be in, in the position of slave either for a long-term or for a short-term because of their financial situation or maybe various ways in which they could have become slaves. Um, many times we think about slavery, we, we think about the you know, last couple hundred years ago in Europe or in, in the United States where there was slavery and, and, and it was in some ways like that and worse, but in other ways not like that. And there's historical evidence that um, um, many, many cases the slave-master relationships were very good and even many continued in that relationship voluntarily. And so in many ways it parallels our um, employer-employee type uh, situation. But in other cases, the, the slavery, especially in the, in the Greek and Roman societies that um, were not governed by God's morality, the, the, the masters were very harsh and cruel and the slaves endured a very uh, poor um, condition. And so you had all of the same problems in, in the fact that we have today, where, where people are greedy and take advantage of other people. And, uh, and so we, we see that the Lord is um, writing to believers uh, that they might know how to live in these circumstances that they're in. And as you can imagine, many, uh, if you think about one in three being a slave, many of the, the, those that came to faith in Christ would have been slaves. Yeah. But there would also have been some who would be masters also. We know the record of that, and Paul in these letters are writing also to believing masters and, 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 and instructing them how they're to conduct themselves. And so... Many see these relationships that we've been talking about here as household um, relationships. Uh, it's easy to see husband and wife and parent and child as household, but sometimes we don't think of a master-slave as related to the household. But in that day, um, they would have been closely connected to the family, those that were these relationships would. In, in other words, many times in the home. It would have been laborers in the home, uh, similar to the way today we, we often have um, uh, those that come in to, as, as maids or working in the garden, and they're we're closely connected to our, to our homes. And, and in the past, many times, uh, maids even lived on, the, on the, the property and became close. I remember growing up, Zachary thought our maid was his aunt, you know. <laughs> became so close uh, close to her. And so you had that situation where these, these relationships between master and, 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 and slave or, or bond servant, as the word is usually translated, was very close in many cases. And then you also had farms or small holdings where they'd be working in the field, but also connected to the, to the home. And then family businesses. Many, many were small businesses and sometimes operated out of the home. And so in many of the cases, it wasn't just kind of, you know, this was happening somewhere off away from home, but it was connected to the home life and what was happening in your home. Now, as you come to the New Testament, we see that the Lord is not really addressing the institution of slavery. Uh, it's not that God wasn't concerned about, about it or about the mistreatment of, of individuals. He certainly was concerned uh, about that. And we see in the Old Testament that uh, laws were given to regulate the nation of Israel and how that they, they treated uh, 
those that were in this bond servant uh, relationship uh, and, and regulated uh, how and how long and when they should be released and, um, and how they were to be cared for and various rules and laws were given. Uh, and in fact, the, the practice of kidnapping and enslaving people uh, carried a death penalty in the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 21 verse 16 says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Uh, but correcting the, the wrongs of society is not the focus of the instruction and the mandate of the New Testament church. Amen. We, see, we see the Lord, and as He directs through the Spirit of God for Paul uh, to write to the church about this. He's, his focus is not to, uh, to, to lead the church to revolt or to rebel against the Roman government or to try to, try to change the construct of society. But what he is doing, he's teaching believers how to live within their circumstances in such a way that it brings honor and glory to the Lord and to the name of Christ. And so we do see that as believers submit to the teaching of Christ, uh, there is a there is a change in morality. There's a change in how how we act and how we treat others. Um, but that change, that moral change, is really not the ultimate goal of Christianity. Um, Josh and I was talking about the, about this uh, last week. We went and played golf, and and uh, the the course where we're at had put a, a a man who was by himself that day with us, and so we playing together with him. And and as oftentimes the case is, when they find out that I'm a pastor, they they kind of, oh, well, I, be, I better be careful, you know, my language or, or I, I better, you know, uh, be careful how I, how I act or something or better be on my best behavior. We usually get some kind of reaction like that. And uh, you realize that in the mind of many people, moral behavior is the main thing that God's concerned about. Um, but that's not really God's main concern. If you think about God didn't send Christ to die so that the world could become a more moral place or, or even a better place. Uh, he, he sent Christ to die to save sinners and to reconcile uh, those that would believe in Christ and to Himself. And this is the, this is the focus and it's to the, to, the, to the praise of the glorious Grace of God. That's what Paul is teaching us here in this letter. And, um, and so we see this focus. We see this focus of the, uh, the change of the heart, the, the reconciliation to Christ. And as that happens, yes, there, there is a, uh, a change in, in the way we act and live and treat one another uh, as, a, as a byproduct of this inward transformation of the heart. And so as Paul writes to the church about slaves and masters, he's not teaching them uh, you know, how, to, how to correct the society. Although in many cases, Christianity does impact and change uh, the, the situation of society and, the, and the, uh, even constructs within society, but that's not the goal. And, and I, you, you can look back in history and see where many times churches and leaders have gone gone off track, so to speak. They've, they left the mandate of evangelism and, and bringing, leading people to Christ to try to, try to correct you know, politics and try to change this or to protest against that. And so as you and I as believers, we must um, keep our focus. Keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and His purpose and how He wants us to live. Uh, and so as we look at some other places where Paul writes about this thing, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is one of those that is important. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, 
in the following, he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And there he's using this term called to talk about when he was called to faith in Christ. And so Paul is, is saying that um, however you, whatever circumstances you're in, when you come to faith in Christ, don't automatically try to, try to change that. Uh, he, he goes on to talk about how that applies to circumcision in verse 18 and 19. And, and then in verse 20 he says, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Uh, and by the way, uh, we know from, from history that um, these uh, slaves, in many, many of the cases, earned income Amen. so that they could actually pay off, if, if in certain some circumstances, pay off of their debt and, and, and basically buy themselves out of that uh, slave situation. He goes on to say, "For he who called, sorry, for he who who was called in the Lord is a bondservant, as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ." You see what Paul's doing there. He he addresses those that were bondservants. He says, "If you're you come to faith in Christ when you're a bondservant." You are a free man of the Lord, but it, but if you are free when you were came to faith in Christ, you're a bondservant of Christ, and, and so he's he's really turning it both directions to say you know if you're a slave, don't be all down because you know as if you had no hope because you're free in Christ, and then if you're free in Christ, don't. Don't forget, you're a bondservant of Christ. <laughs> and so he's basically looking at both sides and reminding them that the primary relationship that they have is in Christ. Amen. And the main thing that matters, the most important thing, is our relationship with Him. He goes on in that section and says, For we were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, let him remain with God. And so although the Scriptures are not demanding an end to slavery, it is demanding Christian masters and slaves to treat each other in such a way that is consistent with the transforming power of the Gospel. Amen. In the name of Christ. So then rather than trying to to force a change upon society, an outward change, what we see the Scripture doing is putting the focus on an inward change, the change of the heart. And the Christian, Christianity calls for this, this inner change in our own lives. Uh, and, and that's the impact and power of the Gospel, is the change in our life and the change in the lives of others that come to faith in Christ. And so as we, we come to this passage then, it's very practical for us today. We may not be living in a society that has, uh, has masters and slaves, but you may be maybe in a job where you feel like you're a slave. You may, you may feel like that uh, you're underpaid and unappreciated and, and even mistreated, and, and it's easy to get in a situation where you feel trapped, and especially here in South Africa where there's not enough jobs you may, be in a, you may be in a place where you wish you could get a different job, but you feel rather trapped because you need work, but you can't find better work. Uh, or you may be an employer. Uh, you may be an employer as part of your work, or you may be employing someone just on a temporary basis as a day laborer, or you may have house help on a, on a regular basis. And so this passage speaks directly to us. And as with the, with the instruction to husbands and wives and parents and children, Paul is going to begin with, with this, as he talks about this relationship, he's going to begin with the, 
the, the one who's under authority in this relationship. And so he begins with bond servants and by application to us as employees. And uh, I've entitled this uh, bond servants or employees, Christ is your Lord. Christ is your Lord. And he says, verse 5, bond servants <coughs> obey your earthly masters. And so in this section, that's the main command. Obey. Uh, he's talking to us that um, are under authority in a, in a work relationship. And he's saying obey. And, and we ought to remember this goes back to the, to, the, to the general command back in chapter 5 and verse 21 where he says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's going to write this way to Titus uh, in, the, in the, that letter and says in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now there's a goal for you. <laughs> as an employee, that in everything you adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Matter of fact, that's a, that's a goal for any person as a believer that in whatever we're doing, whatever situation we in, we might adorn. That word adorn is, of course, mayo. It, it comes from the word cosmos. And, and if you were in our men's uh, uh, prayer breakfast uh, a couple weeks ago, you you know, that this really talks about things being in order, uh, things um, being right, and, uh, and, and even we get, we get the word cosmetics from it, so that uh, when the ladies put cosmetics, they're, they're making things attractive, they're making, you know, things right. And, uh, and so Paul is using this word, to talk about adorning or making attractive the, the the doctrine of God, our Savior. In other words, we we put on as believers, we're, we're to put on the truth of the gospel so that it's attractive to the world around us. You know, the world around us doesn't they don't really care about the doctrine of God or the gospel in many cases. That to them it doesn't really make sense. It may be foolish to them, um, and they certainly can't really understand it. It doesn't look attractive at all to them. But as an employer, when they see someone that's doing their job, they're being faithful, they're not cutting corners, they're trying to, uh, they're actually benefiting you as, as an employer, then your faith that you're living out becomes attractive to them. Amen. They can see that there is a there's a value, uh, and, and it's actually something that changed that has changed you from within. You're different from the average person who's basically you know living for themselves, and now they see a person who who has a different motivation, a different goal. They may not understand the goal, but they can see the impact of it in life, and so. The, the concern here is the testimony that we have, the putting on or the adorning of the gospel. The only exception to this command to, to obedience would be the same we talked about before in these other relationships, is that if uh, we were required to disobey God. In other words, as an employee, if you're asked to lie or to or, or to cheat or to do something illegal, then it would be right to respectfully disobey Amen. And, and to explain because of, of your faith and your wanting to, to follow Christ, you couldn't, couldn't do that. And so that would be the exception to this command to, uh, uh, to obey. 1 Timothy 6, um, verse 1, that, uh, that Daniel's been teaching through, uh, that section there, beginning chapter 6, verse 1, says, Let all who are under a yoke 
as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So you see again this this the reason uh, and concern that we have in our in our conduct as employees would be to not bring dishonor upon the gospel, the teaching of, of God's word. And so we have this concern for not only our situation and how things work out for us, but a, but a greater concern is our relationship to Christ and what pe- the way that people see um, our faith in action. And so he continues. So you go back to uh, Ephesians 6 in our text. In verse 5 he says, Obey your earthly masters. It's interesting that he points out that he's talking about earthly masters. And the reason I think he does that is because he's going to, going to he's trying to shift the, the, the focus to our heavenly master. Uh, both for the, the, the bondservants and for the masters. He wants our main focus to be on the fact that we have a, a master in heaven or a Lord. This, uh, uh, this is something he's going to develop in this passage. And so Paul continues to describe what this obedience should look like and he, and he says that it's to be with respect or, or honor. Notice he says, obey your earthly masters with all or with fear and trembling and that word could conjure up an idea of a cowering kind of fear, but that's not how it's, how it's being used. You see a couple other places where this, ter- this phrase is used that it's really talking about a, a proper respect um, or honor uh, for the person in, in the position that they're in. That we saw there in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 1, he says, worthy of all honor. And so you, you see that's, the, that's the, the focus of what he's, what he's talking about. And it's not that the, the person deserves respect or honor, but the position that they have deserves it. And, and many times we, we only want to, um, to show respect to someone if they've earned it or we feel like they've earned it. But that's not the point. And we saw that earlier in the husband-wife relationship as well. That because of, of where God has placed them, they, they deserve that show of honor or respect. And he continues to, to say with sincere heart, with a sincere heart, verse 5, end of verse 5, with a, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And, and this word translated here, sincere, is really just speaking to the, the simplicity or, or the, the, the singleness of heart that uh, really describing a worker that um, he just does his job. And he, he doesn't have ulterior motives that uh, he's kind of lurking in the background. No, he, he just, he's just a faithful worker. And as believers, that should... That should uh, be something that that is known of Christians. Unfortunately, we have a lot of people that are parading as Christians, but they don't really have this transforming work of God in their heart, and they're not living out the truth of the gospel. And they're no better workers than someone. But for us that know Christ and are wanting to live for Him, regardless of how good or bad our boss is or how good or bad our job is or how little we're paid, we should be the best worker that we could be. It should be, a, it should be a testimony. And so, he says it negatively to help us understand what he's saying. Verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. That's an interesting word that Paul's coined here. This word eye service and people pleasers. Um, we've all seen that on the workplace, haven't we? The eye service basically means that you, you work when you're being watched. <laughs> or is he saying, don't be like that. Don't, don't only do a good job when you're being watched. Um, I read the story about a, a retired man that uh, he knows you know, this construction going on in a, in a place next to him, next to his house. And so, 
So for, for a couple of days, he would go over and he just watched this work crew. He, he was quite impressed with how, how you know, diligent they were and what a good job they were doing and conscientious and everything. And finally, he, he goes up to one of the men and just to, to compliment them about what a good job they're doing. And, uh, you know, it says, I just come over to, to, to watch, you know, what you're doing. And then one of the guys says, you mean you're not the supervisor? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the way it goes oftentimes, isn't it? You, you get to, you know, if you think you're being watched, then, then you'll do a, do a good job. But when the, you know, when the boss is away, you just kind of, you know, take it easy and you don't really care if, uh, if the work gets done or, or you do as little as possible, you know, and be able to, to get by with. Uh, you know, I, growing up, I didn't really have many bosses other than my dad. And, uh, and I moved to Charlotte and took a job for a company uh, called Kimlon, lawn care uh, specialist type of business. And in the, in the summer, I went to work for them uh, they hired me to put out uh, lime on the the the, uh, the, guard, the lawns of customers, and so I put uh, thousands of, of kilos of lime out that summer. But I I learned that the previous guy, the, the guy that had the, the summer before, had uh, you know they load up the the baki with uh, these bags of lime, and you know he goes out and he's got a handful of invoices, you know where they're supposed to put out. Well, this guy was going out and he, he'd fill out the, the invoices, but he, he took his load of lime and dumped it in a ditch. <laughs> and then just kind of goofed off the rest of the day, went to a restaurant and then came back in at the end of the day like he had been working all day. But eventually they found out what, what he was doing. But it was uh, surprising to me. I didn't, I, I just did not, hadn't been exposed to that kind of, um, deception or that kind of poor work ethic um, and and it was uh, something that I began to learn that this is this is part of uh, it's part of the workplace in many cases that people are um, they don't have this inner motivation to uh, to do a good job or to to try to uh, be the best employee that you can be well he goes on to say not as people pleasers. Uh, our goal as believers is to please the one who is our our Lord, the one who's always watching, always with us, always knows. He knows even the the motivation of our heart. And though uh, hopefully our work does please our employee, um, our employer. I mean, that's not our main goal. Our main goal is to look past the circumstance and to work for Him, the Lord, Amen. Uh, to please Him. Paul continues in verse 5 to say, with respect, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, I just got the wrong page, to, to obey Christ. So we just noticed there in verse 5, as you would Christ. And so he's going to make this point three times in this passage just so that we make sure we don't miss it. Uh, and this, this point that all they were working for this earthly boss, um, it's done for the Lord. Notice he says in verse 6, as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And then in verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. And so he, he wants these people who are in this subservient relationship to realize that um, uh, their work, although it may not be appreciated, their circumstance may not get better, um, they may not be able to win their, their freedom, but whatever, they're working for the Lord. And as unto him, Paul will continue and to talk about a reward, uh, and, and he's really, really speaking encouragement to those that um, are struggling in their situation. And there may be some this morning who's really struggling in your 
in your work situation. You may have a difficult boss. You may be in a, in a bad circumstance where you, you find it difficult to, to obey what the Lord is saying here, to work with a good attitude and, and, to, have a, uh, and, and to do your job the, way, the best you can do. Because you, you may feel like it doesn't matter how good a job or how hard you work, you're not going to get the, the increase. Or you're not going to get uh, recognized for the work that you're doing. It's just not going to get better. Well, the Lord wants to encourage you. And Paul says, remember. He says, you know, verse, verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So ultimately, as we think about reward, ultimately for the believer, a reward comes when the Lord comes back. Uh, that's that's our goal. That's our our hope is in Christ. It's not in the it's not in the, the employer. It's not in the the circumstances getting better. Although if that happens, great. But if it doesn't, our reward is in heaven. And and the Lord uh, does also bless us now. He blesses us now when we are faithfully seeking to serve Him and live for Him. He blesses us with the peace of God and the joy that comes in living for Him. And then sometimes the Lord also blesses us physically now. He doesn't guarantee that you're going to get the job or you're going to get a better job or that you're, you're going to get a pay increase. But sometimes He does bless us in that way. Sometimes the employer does see, does see our work and recognize that we are working when we're not being watched or that we're doing a good job or that we're doing our best. And, and we do get rewarded. And those are, you could say, added benefits of living for the Lord. While our main motivation... So we live and work to please Him. And although we may not get rewarded now, the Lord sees and He doesn't forget. And Revelation 22 verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Now that same uh, phrase there is in some places used to talk about a recompense of judgment. But here in Revelation 22, He's seems to be talking about a reward, a recompense to those that know Him and live for Him. And so that's the message to the employees. For those of us that are in some way in a subservient role as far as work, and the Lord points us to Christ and to work for Him. And then He turns to the masters or the employers. It also says that Christ is your Lord. The main takeaway for those of us in that role is that Christ is our Lord. And so Paul is in effect giving a warning to masters who in this first century were, were prone to the mistreatment of slaves. And you go back and you can read from you know historical documents the attitude that in many cases were that these slaves were no more than an instrument to be used and discarded when they were no longer valuable to you uh, in, in the work. And so Paul writes to remind uh, these believing uh, masters or in, the, in the, 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 the situation as being a, an owner, of, of an estate or having many people under him in these bondservant roles, he reminds them that they also have a master or Lord. And that word there that's used in, um, in this passage is the same word. Both come from curio, which is Lord or master. And, and so he's doing a little bit of a play on this word that and is commonly translated both ways to remind them that although they're masters, they have a master also who is above them and who's holding them accountable. Notice verse 9. He says, Masters, 
Do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that He who is both their Master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with Him. And so He says, Masters, do the same to them. In other words, treat them also with respect, with honor. Uh, And so this takes us again back to the principle found there in in Ephesians 5, verse 21, to to us as believers. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and these are radical words that Paul is, is teaching here. The master um, submitting to a, to a bondservant or to showing you know, respect and, and, and honor to them. How can that be? It's, it's totally opposite of what the society was was thinking and their attitude in, uh, towards this relationship. The, the world would basically say the master and, and slave, they have no relationship. There, there's nothing in common there. And you just treat, you treat the slave any way that you want to, whatever benefits you, and they had the legal right to do that. Um, and there was no you know, labor union to come along and, and to, to say, you know, you can't treat people working for you that way. You know, they had this carte blanche freedom, but the Lord comes along and says, no, you don't have that freedom. I am the Lord. And you, you must treat those that are under you with honor or with respect, and you must submit in that way to them. And so he teaches us that uh, there's a Christian work ethic. And this work ethic basically teaches us that regardless of how menial or insignificant the job is, a faithful work is honorable. A faithful work has dignity and will be rewarded by God. And, and so as employers, we must remember to treat those under us those are our employees with respect. And he warns, he warns these masters to stop your threatening. And evidently that was a common, a common thing that was happening. Otherwise he wouldn't say stop doing it. Stop your threatening. Uh, he says it this way in Colossians 3 on this same topic. Colossians 3 from verse 25. He says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so he extends this warning. Don't don't act like unbelievers. Let the grace of God impact your heart and you treat those under you uh, with with an eye upon Christ and who He is and what He's done for you. And so... As you think about the next phrase there in verse 9, he says, there's no partiality with God. You know, you know it's, in our, it's in our sinful flesh to be partial. Uh, we, we, we naturally show favor to someone who is important or has, a, has a, an important work position in society. And we can easily look down on someone because of their lowly position. But as we are led by the Spirit of God and walk with Him, we see people the way God sees them. Amen. Uh, the, the cleaning lady is just as important to God as the owner of a large corporation with hundreds of employees. Amen. And so we need, to, we need to let God in His Word change our thinking so that we see people the way He does. And as believers, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one in Christ. And that's what He means about there's no partiality with God. And in fact, as you see the, the, the practical history of Christianity and also the Word of God, you find that those that are in the lowly positions, those that are in the meek and humble positions, make up the majority of Christianity. It's not the other way around. And um, we've seen that already in, in many places in Scripture uh, as 
as we're instructed how to think about um, positions and, and to, in our evaluation of, of who's important. This is what Galatians 3 and verse 28 is talking about. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, just because you're saved doesn't change um, whether you're male or female. It doesn't change whether you're a slave or, or a master. But what it does do, it makes you one, the same in Christ. In other words, we all relate to Him the same way. God doesn't look, look at us because of our position in society or how much money we have and, and give favor to someone else and not to us. No, we, we, are, we come to Him on the basis of Christ. And that's the way God wants us to think about each other. Uh, that we are one in Christ. Well, whatever your, your position may be this morning, as an em employer, as an employee, we have a master in heaven who is Lord over all. And as employees, we should, we should work faithfully, with integrity, as unto the Lord. And as believers in Christ, we should be known as someone who is a good worker. Uh, Christians should have the name of, of someone who is a good worker. And unfortunately, many people will use the name of Christianity to their advantage and try to try to get work or to try to do something by just kind of putting out there, you know, the symbol of a cross or their, you know, some little slogan or something. While at the same time, they have no intentions of living or doing the work with integrity. That shouldn't be the case with us. We should be known as someone who is a good worker. And as employers, the same is true. We, we should be known as someone who trusts the Lord. And we should strive to be just and fair to our to employees as possible. And knowing that we are also accountable unto the Lord. And so it should, we should be a people that um, are not, do not allow the attitudes of the world to rub off on us the way that we treat others. And, and we can show respect to, to those around us regardless of their position and especially within the body of Christ because we are truly brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Father, we... We thank you for your word this morning and the instruction you give us. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we take these practical words of instruction and apply it to our own situation, to our own attitudes, meaning that we've grown up with and just inherited without really thinking about. Lord, I pray that the, the gospel would transform our thinking and that we would submit ourselves to you Allow you to be Lord in our lives and all of our relationships would be governed by that relationship that's supreme. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.